Mighty Zellum with the corner. Manchester United with one opportunity, maybe. And yeah. it's in! Oh, it's come in! And it's Alessio Russo that maybe has got the winner for Manchester United. And nothing less than she has deserved. A tireless effort from Russo. And Manchester United with a last-minute winner. Who'd have thought it? No one deserves it more than Russo. Her work rate today has been absolutely unbelievable. And she deserves that. Hello and welcome back to the Manchester United podcast. Where have we all been? Where have we been? Where have we all been? We've had a little break, but we are well and truly back and coming back with lots of amazing content for you over the next few weeks. It's good to be back, guys. Good to see you. It's very nice to see you, Helen. As you, David. <laughs> steady, Sam. Steady. Good to see you, Bells. I miss you, you mate. I Tell you what, you we too. go back a long way. We Him do. over there doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, good to be back. I don't know about the two of you. I imagine the same because, I mean, I have, I think, more free time. So I maybe see them more. Get a lot of people have been asking when we're coming back and if we're so coming back and when we're coming back. So many. I'm just quite glad that that will stop. Then the last one was Henrik Larson that I didn't do. Fuck, oh, Maisie, where were you? I must have been playing golf. Shock. <laughs> have you played a little golf, Maisie? Yes. How yes. you getting on? Yes, all good. Yeah, down to four now. Oh, been oh yeah, big news, nice. big that news. Is big news. I know. Scholes, he beat me in a comp. Ginger so-and-so. What's the target? Is that, do you just, is it? No, no target, Sam. Just, um, just play good golf and uh, enjoy it. You know, that's what it's for. So is four the lowest you've ever been? Four's the lowest I've been, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so. nice as well, because you're number four. Yeah, well, there you go. Maybe I'll never go anything below yeah, that. Yeah, you'll ruin your branding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maisie Brandon. Anyone out there who wants to do Maisie Brandon, by all means, get in touch. Sam, what's been new with you? Um, very little. Although people will have heard you, I suppose, on the Match Day podcast. Yeah, I've done some of the Match Day ones. A bit. Um, How was that? Any good? Not, not the same without us. It was a very different podcast. It was a very different experience. It was a very different Diplomatic thing. Diplomatic answer. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is so lovely to be back and I hope that you're all listening in on this one. And I know that you have missed us because, as Sam said, people have been emailing and messaging messages on Twitter. So we are happy to say we are back and we are back with a bang. Yeah, Alessia Russo. Yeah. European champion. Wow. Back healer extraordinaire. That's a thing I'm excited about. Like, What's it like to score like a defining goal? There's goals no, in history that you go, that was one of those, like... Um, Ibrahimovic's overhead kick for Sweden against England. Or, Van Persie's. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Zidane in the Champions League final. She's, she's got one of those goals, I think. What moments have you been on the pitch where you've seen a goal like that, Maisie? Cantona. I know obviously 99, but... Cantona's chip against Sunderland. Yeah, just iconic, isn't it? Just brilliant. Just the way he orchestrates to the crowd. Brilliant. I mean, we're getting to her goal with her, but when that happened... Do you, do you feel in that moment like I've just seen something incredibly yeah, special? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's not many people could do that. Obviously, Eric could. Um, but yeah, just iconic moments in in the game. Also, and, just, and right now is a World Cup. Yeah. I know. I think we should, I just want to point out for everyone who's listening, obviously that goal is incredibly, everyone would have seen it, but just pay attention to the build-up. David May creates it. Yeah, I was just well, going to chip in with that. Yes, yes. Chip thanks, in. Guys. Nope. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Helen. Yes. <laughs> Everybody forgets about that bit and how it was set up. That's it, yeah. Obviously, that incredible Cantonar goal was scored at Old Trafford and we're speaking to Alessia today ahead of the women's team playing at Old Trafford at the weekend. So this is it, Alessia Russo on the United Podcast. 
Alessia Russo, welcome to United Podcast. Thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, I had a good session this morning and then, yeah, nice to be here with you guys. Thank you. Well, you, normally these chats are pretty timeless because people can listen to them whenever they want as fits their schedule. But this is quite, I suppose, a big week for you because this game at Old Trafford at the weekend, Aston Villa, and I imagine, is, is preparation different? Is enthusiasm different? Is your mindset different? Um, as much as I want to say, yeah, it's actually not. And I think we've had um, a few good preps for it I guess obviously last game at the Emirates and a few of us have played at Old Trafford before so yeah I think we're more excited um, preps no different um, yeah we just can't wait to go out there in in front of all our friends and family and all the fans and, and hopefully give them a performance that they're looking for What What is a normal week like for you now? So we train today training tomorrow um, tomorrow we start to do some look at the opposition um off and then two day build up into the game, um, getting everything sharp and, and fired, ready to go. And then the game day. Is that pretty week. standard if you're playing a Saturday, you get maybe a Wednesday off? Yeah, if we play Sunday, we get Thursday off, yeah. but normally we do play Sunday, um, but obviously this week it's Saturday. So we like to have a two day build up into the yeah. game, um, which is good. What do you do in your days off? Um, dog walking. Yes, isn't it? that's what we're I told. Don't, I'm not part of the Come dog club. On. I know. I don't have a dog, but a lot of the girls do. Um, so yeah, dog walking for them. I like to sleep in a little bit. Um, I love my sleep, so I sleep in. I like to just go out, get a coffee, go for brunch. Like a lot of the girls live quite local, so we'll get some brunch or just chill out, try and switch off from football because it's hard at times but yeah just you're going to enjoy the next sort of 45 minutes if, if that's a mindset that we're looking for <laughs> why are we not talking football well I think we're going to talk quite a lot about football <laughs> um, what was it like scoring the winner at the Emirates yeah amazing um, I think that game was was like a a real test for us really because a lot of the time we come up against the top teams and we miss out by the, the smallest margins and we know that we we have the talent and and the desire to win these games. And I think we've shown exactly that on last weekend. And yeah, to score at that end and, and the fans, I knew the traveling fans were over in the corner. So ran straight over to them because they're a big part of our, us and our team. So um, yeah, it was great. I know you were telling Maisie that you've listened to all of our podcasts. Every single one. I just give you a, a just an update <laughs> on where we are. So we just do like, um, almost like a life story. So we talk about how you got into football, what your influences were, what you, you know, what you like at school and so on. And uh, I was delighted to read that you grew up in Maidstone in Kent. Yeah. Not enough people from Kent are in the building. In is my that where you're from, Kent? Yeah, yeah from? absolutely. Yeah, we know you're from Kent. You're not from Maidstone, are you? I'm not from Maidstone. Maidstone is the capital from? of Kent. So I respect oh. it. I have enormous respect for Maidstone. Uh, Folkestone. Oh, not far. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. yeah. Do you oh, this Canada? is nice, isn't it? Yeah. So oh, it's nice. Friends. That's right. Oh, friends. friends. Yeah. Southern um, friends. So what was like, I did see you turned on Bromley's Christmas lights though very recently. I did, yeah. They're always trying to claim they're in Kent. I'm not convinced. <laughs> I think they're Greater London. Yeah, I think they Kent are. Kent talk. Kent talk. Is it? If we speak to someone from North Island, it's like you know everybody's grandparents and everything. I think Jonathan Green was the only other person that spent any time in Kent. I've never been to Kent, actually. Yes, you have. Have I? Yeah. Have you ever been on the Channel Tunnel? No. You might not have been. Birthday. <laughs> I was confident you wouldn't. Sorry, been. back so to anyway, the Christmas back, back, back to the uh, back to <laughs> Yeah. What was life like for growing up? Obviously, you had your brothers, your dad, who was a big football fan. Yeah, it was great. Um, fortunate to have a really nice upbringing. Obviously, grew up in Kent ever until I moved to 
America and then obviously came to Manchester. But yeah, it was great. Brothers both played, dad played, mum and dad were ferrying me up and down the country, um, taking me to games. And my brothers both were really sporty as well. So one week my dad would be taking me to football and mum would be taking my brother to run in and vice versa. So yeah, it was a bit crazy, but um, yeah, wouldn't change it. Where are you in the pecking order of your two brothers? One is 20... God, you're the youngest? Yeah. I'm the youngest. 28 and 29. Don't make it awkward in case they're listening. 28 and 29, I think. Both older. You're the youngest. So would you say your love of football came from them? I know your dad's played a lot of football, but would you have been playing in the garden with your brothers? Yeah, always. I think as soon as I'd get home from school. We live in like a little close. So there's like a little patch of grass in a park. So after school every day, everyone would get in and there's a, there was a lot of um, kids that were all a similar age to me and my brothers. So we'd just get in, drop our bags and be out playing football all night until mum would call us in for dinner. So um, yeah, definitely. I started kicking a ball around with them and probably would never have got into it if it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. I read that they used to stick you in goal. They did, yeah. How did that go? Um, it used to end in tears, but that's probably just because I had for two them. older brothers. Yeah, for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, as I got older, they, they started to rotate with me a little bit. So I had to earn the respect. Nice. And <laughs> your dad, because Helen was saying about your dad obviously played a lot of football. Is yeah. he, am I right in saying he's the highest goal scorer in Met Police FC history, which I assume <laughs> is the Met Police's football team, which you'd think would be a decent standard yeah, because but loads don't, of people. you don't need to bring that up because he never lets me forget that. Right, okay. Um, we yeah. can edit that. Tell, tell that out. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, he was a striker and he likes to tell me all his stories about when he was playing and stuff like that. But yeah, maybe that's where I got my, my eye for goal and maybe just how I wanted to be a striker because I don't think I ever considered playing anywhere else. Is there a point though when you're playing for Manchester United and you've won the Euros that you're like, you're right, Dad, I'm I'm doing all right. <laughs> well, he always tells me that one game he played in front of ninety thousand people, but oh. it turns out that they actually thought it was England's team coming over because it was in like China or somewhere. They thought it was England team, but it was English police. Wow. So oh, I was wow. like, well, they came to the game, 000. but they didn't mean yeah. to. Yeah. Who were they playing against? Uh, I can't remember. Chinese Some, police. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The police games. Yeah, they kept, they referee, went by mistake. Basically, so but yeah, that's default. Wow, yeah, that's default. Can't call that. Who were your sporting heroes, football heroes? Um, have a few. Who did did you support as a kid? United, always, yeah, always United. I used, but I had a lot of different. I was like in the women's game, I loved Kelly Smith, Mm -hmm. um, and in the men's game, I was a big fan of Rooney actually. Um, and then I love Omri Zidane, those kind of players. Do you mentally soften anyone? I mean, yeah, I, I try and watch as much football as I can and, and take bits of different people's games. As much as I don't want to say it on this podcast, I love watching Haaland at the minute. I know Absolutely. He, I know he's in blue, but yeah. what, what a goal scorer, what a striker. Um, Omri, I used to literally watch all of Arsenal's games, even though I was a United fan. But I just love football and love certain players. And I guess... As a female growing up, in my time, I think times have changed a little bit now, but you had to kind of watch the men's game because if you wanted to watch females, you had to actually physically be in the stadium. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's great how, how much the game's changed and it's on Sky and and everything's accessible. But um, yeah, when I was younger, it wasn't always the case. I was just going to say that because when you look now, you've got 360,000 Instagram followers. You've been at the Pride of Britain Awards. Those kind of things didn't happen for footballers whenever you were younger and you, you didn't see your role models. Yeah, and that's like one of our biggest things post Euros is that we 
like a lot of us when you talk about idols refer to the men's game but now we hope that young boys and girls growing up can can idolize a female player and they don't have to be local and they don't have to be going to every game they can see them on tv they can see them doing events and and speaking and not just players like coaches referees like no like girls knowing that there's always a route into the game mm. and, and they can see them on the biggest stages you could definitely get on i'm a celeb now Oh, I know she smashed it, didn't she? <laughs> I was so buzzing when she won last night. We wanted Maisie to get on for years. Remember yeah, we talked about that? We were like, we, we need to get Maisie on. I'm a celeb, but as they don't pay me enough. As, <laughs> as I say, those things just didn't happen back then. And so it must be really proud for you as players to know that you're the first sort of generation that can make a difference. You know, those players in the past, they tried, but as you said, it wasn't on TV, so they didn't have the opportunity. Yeah, I think it's really nice to see how times are changing. And we often say as players that a lot of the work that the players had done in the past, the likes of like Rachel Yankee, Kelly Smith, Farrah Williams, they were unbelievable players, but they just like, it was just, just a little no bit harder. Yeah, yeah, the exposure. And it's sad because they were such class players and they weren't maybe given all the credit that they deserve. So I think now that we've won the Euros, we've played at Wembley and, and the games and the league's progressing really nicely, it's... An exciting time to be involved in women's football. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think you'd get to where you are now um, as a young kid? I guess as a kid, you always dream about winning trophies mm -hmm. with England, but when it happens, it's like a bit of a pinch me. And still now, like sometimes, like right after the tournament, I thought like it had sunk in and then you look back on it and you're like, wow, it was like an incredible summer. And it went, it felt like a long time we were there, but when you look back at it, it was like yeah. over in a blink. How many times have you watched it back? The final. Uh, you know what, only a couple of times, not actually that much. I watched it right after. Do you, do you find that you watch your games back? Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. watching my games back. But I think after the final, it was such a whirlwind that it actually took me a while to watch it back because we were like, we obviously played on the Sunday and then that was it, like camp was over and you'd been away with, with the team for like three weeks and then you go from that to your normal life and you're bombarded with like media duties and then you want to go on holiday and then you're back in pre-season. Mm. So... It was such a quick turnaround, um, but yeah, it was just... What was the uh, celebrations like? Yeah, they were fun. We um, In the hotel after the game? Yeah, we had like friends and family who come back to the hotel that we stayed at and had a, like a live band and everyone was on dance floor. Man. It was really good. I love that. Yeah, it was special. We can't not talk about the Euros and then not talk about the gold. Mm -hmm. So I, we were talking about it earlier and I was saying this. There's so few goals, I think, that you, obviously there's so many goals have been scored ever, but there's some that you can point to as being genuinely iconic, like Ibrahimovic's overhead kick against England or Zidane's volley against Bayern in the Bayern Leverkusen in the Champions League final. Yeah. Your back heel will be one of those goals. Everyone will remember it that saw it, they'll know where they were. What what was happening when you scored it? Did, was there a moment where you went, oh, I'll just back heel this? Well... I don't like in the build up to it I had a chance first and mm -hmm. I missed the first chance so I could have made it a lot easier for myself if I'd have just scored that but I just think I just reacted and thought oh, like, I've got to do something about that because I was just should have just scored an open goal basically but the keeper saved it and it fell like right back to me and as I got to the ball I was just backwards to the goal and I don't know what came upon me but I just backheeled it and I'll probably never do it again but I'm I was glad say, it was like in the semi-final <laughs> yeah I'll never do it again but um, at well, least listen, it was got a good record you've got a good record yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when it happened did you have any idea like after you'd scored it did you think like people might be talking about that well not at the time in the game because 
I didn't actually see how it went in. Like I had no yeah. idea. Like I just hit it and then suddenly everyone was celebrating. So it wasn't until I watched it back and I thought like, oh, I like yeah, I was just like, oh. Yeah. 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 That wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right. back heel. No. Goal amazing. No, not like that, no. Not no. as important as that. Obviously I've scored a few in training. Every goal's important. Yeah, I'd knock around well, like joking yeah. about in training with yeah. back heel, but I'd never actually do it. But I think we were just given a lot of freedom to play like your own game in, in the Euros, which was really cool. So um, I probably wouldn't have tried it otherwise. <laughs> Is it true you could actually represent Italy? Yeah, my your, granddad's Sicilian. So your dad's dad, Yeah, Is that correct? Yeah, he, he was from Sicily and and my nan and dad's sister still live out there. Okay. So yeah, could have. Is your name Italian then? Yeah. Because I know your brothers obviously both got Italian names. Yeah, all Italian. And then Russo's like a big Sicilian name as well. Everyone thinks it's so unique over here, but in Italy it's just as common as like James. John Smith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you don't live over there, so yeah, it yeah. sounds cool here. Did you spend family holidays in Italy as a child, Sicily? Yeah, ev uh, not in Sicily anymore because my nan now lives in Natuno. It's about an hour south of Rome. So every summer holidays, about a 10 minute walk from the beach. And we'd stay there the, the day after, we'd break up until the day before we went back. Oh, so wow. we'd be there for like six weeks. Um, and then we just try and go back as often as we can. It's hard now because we're all grown up and here, there and everywhere. But actually after the Euros, I went to there for uh, about a week before coming back to pre-season. Oh. Just a bit of normality. We've talked a bit obviously about the astonishing successes. We'll go back a little bit to where it all began. So Kent Schools FA, you played for Kent Schools obviously. Yeah. Did you get a special tie or anything? A special tie? Yeah, the kids in my school, if they played for the Kent football team, they all wore different ties. Yeah, yeah, same the, yeah. Like We had a tie, song. but I didn't actually wear it to school. But we did get a tie because we had to wear it to the games. Far more humble than the people I went to school with. <laughs> they want everyone to know about their special ties. And so what were the opportunities for you? I've read um, one of your PE teachers spoke to the BBC. Yeah. And he was talking about how when you were at school, you were so good, you were playing for the boys' teams, for the girls' teams. And at one point you got disqualified from a competition because they realised after you'd won a game that you were too young to be playing in it. Oh, I don't remember that, but yeah. I think... I I was really lucky that my school was so supportive. Like my PE teachers sent me for trials at Kent schools and they, they like encouraged me to, to go into academies and play. And they understood the distraction that it could take from school, but they really pushed for it. And even when I got into sick form and I was at Chelsea, um, they would put me on day release with the school, which no one had ever done before, but they let me miss a day of school every week to go and train with the first team, which was really nice. And I think that a, a huge, part of my journey started there and it's somewhere that I had so many good memories got so many good friends and yeah it was just a, a happy place and somewhere that really kick-started my journey do you know what it's so true that because a teacher you said your teacher sent you on trial can be so influential in someone's life because if the school hadn't have let you go yeah one day a week it might have changed everything yeah definitely I think that 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 was like a real point I was about 17 it was before I went to America and they let me have a, a day off every week it's so when you're doing your A-levels as well so it's not like the easiest time but they were so supportive and and yeah helped a lot what would you have been had you not been a footballer <sighs> what was you studying uh in A-levels I did sociology and PE I, I, w I was only ever interested in PE yeah, yeah PE PE was my favorite subject when did you actually realize you thought I've got a chance there Maybe when I joined Chelsea, when I was, I joined when I was quite young, but I went all through the academy system 
into the reserves and then a little bit with with the first team um, and then when I was 18 I went to America to do uni and to play out there and then kind of from that point I was like this is this, this is, is it. it yeah when you talk about Chelsea sorry forgive me my geography is not very good London Don't, yeah I know it's in London thank you Sam <laughs> how far is that though to travel from after school or whenever you were going we were Cobham yeah Cobham. So it's in Kent Ah, okay. Cobham's in Kent. I think in Surrey, so. is it not? Is it not in Surrey? Oh, is it? I even I knew that. Oh, it's, it's, it's below London. <laughs> yeah, it is below London. Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of a nightmare just because you had to go all the way around the M25. So, and training was seven till nine. So I'd literally get home from school, do a bit of homework, eat, leave. Wouldn't get back till about like half 10, go to bed. And that was like the, the routine three or four times a week. It's a big commitment, isn't it? When yeah. you're still Massive. at yeah. school till yeah. that age, most you know, the boys at this, that age would be full-time here, but you were still obviously doing it at school. Yeah. When you were 18, we went to North Carolina. So, yeah, I was I was at Chelsea all through my youth, and then I played it about six months at Brighton before I went to America because I was in Chelsea reserves training with the first team, but was on the bench a lot, and I just wanted to get first-team football experience before I went to America. So I went um, and played with the first team at Brighton, who were the league below. But I just threw myself into it, wanted to play with older people and, mm. and kind of test myself. And then when I was 18, went out to America. How did that come about? America. Well, it's a funny one, really, because I always knew that I wanted to go to America just because I used to love US soccer mm. and how successful they were. And I thought, if all of them girls have been through it, then it's good enough for me. Like, of course it is. So I just was always interested in it, like kept an eye on what was going on. And then I had a tournament with England um, in L.A., when we were about 16 and it was full of college scouts. So that kind of kick-started it. And then a, a coach that coached me at Chelsea was coaching in, in America. So he put me in touch with some schools and then I went to visit um, just after we had an under 17 World Cup and um, fell in love with the campus, the school, the people and, and committed there and then pretty much. Was that a difficult thing leaving England? <laughs> or did yeah. you just think, no, this is it? It was tough because I'm such like a home bird, like yeah. I love being at home. Um, but yeah, it was, looking back on it, it was like the best three years of my life. I mean, obviously I'm loving life now, but it was just such an amazing journey. I think I had to grow up quite quickly. Um, luckily I went with a girl who plays for Arsenal, but I played through all my youth with her. Mm -hmm. um, her name's Lotta. So we went out there together and it was nice to have like someone to lean on a little bit, but yeah, it was, you had to grow up quite quickly, but it was amazing. Mason, what do you think when you listen? Because the, that system in particular, obviously it's a uniquely American system, the idea of education and yeah, sport yeah. being mixed. None of the guys that we speak to ever did that path, but the American soccer system has been so much more successful for such a long time that so many of the women's players we speak to have gone and mixed their football with their education. Do you think that would be a benefit to the men's game? Uh, possibly, but I think I'd obviously... Growing up as a kid, all I ever did, all I ever wanted to do was just, I, I, I wasn't bothered about football for a school. <laughs> I wasn't bothered about sc uh, school. I just wanted to play football. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously now the lads go to college and stuff like that, but nothing like college football over in America. Mm. Maybe you get, I don't know, is it one day release that they get, the lads? Whereas America is just full on education, is it? Yeah. And football at the end we'd of the day. We'd be in like, we'd have gym in the morning at like, this is it. It would vary depending yeah. on your schedule, but you'd have gym in the morning at like seven. Then you'd be in class from like eight till two. Then you train from like three eight till, till five. Yeah, oh you'd God, have like really three nice. or four classes a day. 
But what if people are doing different subjects? How do they align all that? Or does everybody in university in America do the same times? Yeah, all the classes are at different times and you pick the ones that you need and stuff. It's a completely different education system to England because you have to um, basically go back to like picking loads of subjects. So you have to take a humanity, a um, language, science, like you have to take all these different things and then you take your like specific classes to your major. So... Yeah, lots of different classes, but mm. it was fun. Mm. ACC Offensive Player of the Year 2017. Then the uh, 2018, you won the Player of the Year, but also broke your leg. Is that right? Yeah. How did you break your leg? In a 50-50 tackle with the goalkeeper. Oh. And it was like really tough because I felt like that was kind of when my game was going really well. I just would just had an under-20s World Cup with England, came back into the season, was really excited, and then, yeah, was out for about six months. Did she do you or did you, was it? So basically she was like coming out and the grass was quite slick. It was like an evening game and I was running in and I went to like dink the ball yeah. over. But as she had sl- like slid out, her knee just went into my shin because she'd like picked up speed with the grass ah, right. and it just went straight into my shin about here and, and broke. So I had to get surgery. What was that like? The whole, the, the recovery, the experience of being injured and not yeah. being able to play? It was really tough, but you know, it was funny. Basically my mum and dad, flew out the day before because we had like three games in a week and they were like quite big games um, to progress to the final of the tournament. So they'd come out the day before and were obviously in the stadium when it happened, but it was like the biggest blessing ever because I would have been, obviously they would have like flown out later, Mm. but they were there like to meet with all the surgeons there for the surgery. And then by the time they left, I was pretty much like back on my feet. Obviously I was on crutches, but I was like moving, could do things on my own. So yeah, it was bad, like bad timing, but nice to have them there. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. Yeah. So in between you recovering from your leg and then COVID, did you get to play again? Yeah. So I kept, I did it in about the October and then I was back in maybe April, uh, May, and then had another season from, our season was like August until December. So I had that season and then COVID hit the following March. So had you already come home by that stage? No, I came home. So I was still in college, like enjoying college life. And then I I was just going to stay in America. I was like, I'll just stay here. Like I'll go to one of my friend's houses or whatever. And then suddenly like things just got really, really serious. And mum and dad phoned me and we were like, they were like, no, we want you to come home. Because yeah. obviously it was a scary time. I was like, no, like I'm fine. But yeah. good job I did come home because I ended up being home for about four months because I couldn't get back out there because of all the flights and stuff. Um, but yeah, I got back out there in the July and then I came back to Sanford United in, in the August. How did that all come about? It was actually really tough. So basically um, I went back and I made like, was able to get back in with my visa. And then I was completely focused on having another, my senior year in college, um, that upcoming year. And then we kind of got like, everyone was saying that our league was just gonna cancel because the state of the country was still bad with COVID and everything. And then they were like, no, like the league's gonna carry on, but it will be like a like a different league. We won't play as many games. There'll be no fans, of course, everything like that. And then I remember going into my coach's office and like, what, what do you want me to do? And at this point I just had, just before COVID, just had my first call up to the seniors with England. So, he was really honest with me and was like, I think you should leave and go play pro and not do your last year um, in order to try and keep pushing to get back in the seniors. 
just because there was so much uncertainty around the season. How did the move to United come about? It was really quick, like within about three or four weeks. Did you weeks. know anything about it? Or? Not re- Well, yeah, I did. After I'd made the decision to leave, obviously I had to, to try and get a club. Yeah. Um, and I was speaking to a few and then when United came up, it was one that I couldn't turn down and yeah, I've been loving it ever since. Because you've been friends with Ella for the whole, from what age were you together in the England setup from? Uh, we probably first were on like a youth camp, maybe when we were about 14. Mm-hmm. Um, Can you remember then, her? Yeah, she always says that like, she was like, because I'd been in a little bit longer, she came in a bit later. Um, and I had a group of friends, but obviously wanted to be friends with Tooney because I just knew that we'd get on. Yeah. Um, but she was quite shy when she was younger. But, but then as camps got, got on, we just got really close and then I've been like it ever since. So are you both the same age? We're the same England age group, yeah. but she's a school year younger mm-hmm. than me just because of our birthdays. So when the move to United came about, how many of the girls did you actually know at the time? Uh, I knew Tooney and I knew a couple of them just through like, being on a camp with them here mm-hmm. and there um, and a couple of them from my, my camp at the seniors but Tooney was probably the only one that I really knew well but it's just for any player it's such an easy club to fit into I think the girls are are as welcoming as as ever and I think as a new player coming into this kind of squad it, it just made me feel settled right away and then when you're settled you can play your best football. How soon did somebody point out that when we didn't touch on it earlier but you were at the Charlton Athletic uh, Centre of Excellence and when you were there you were a mascot for Casey Stoney who was then yeah. of course your manager how quickly did or did you obviously you would have known that but did yeah. other people start pointing it out well that picture actually came up when I signed so I signed and then on Twitter it was like oh look how full circle yeah. <laughs> it is like I was Casey's mascot and now I'm playing for her so yeah that I mean it was cool I I was so young at the time I must have been about eight and Casey was obviously captain at Charlton um, but yeah it really come full circle what were your family's reactions when the news from Manchester United came about? Yeah. Were your brothers Man United fans yeah, as well? Whole yeah, whole family's Man United fans. Yeah, I think... It, Not it surprised, was, I'm sure, but, you know, obviously it's Manchester United as well. Yeah, I think obviously they're one of the biggest clubs in the world and, and when you hear that they want to sign you, it's, a, again, another like moment where you think like... Wow. Yeah. And as like cliche as it sounds, but as a kid, like you didn't actually think all of these things would come to like fruition. And I think, yeah, now to, to be at one of the biggest clubs in the world is is amazing. And the way we're progressing is is really cool. What's it been like having obviously the experience of Chelsea and Brighton? You were obviously both involved in first teams there and then in America and then being at United. Yeah. Because we talk like you're talking about Manchester United, it's one of the biggest sports institutions on the planet. Do you feel that? Do you, does it, is it noticeably different being here to say being at Brighton or being at Chelsea or being in America? I think what's the biggest difference is the fan base, mm-hmm. like the amount of fans United have and, and how connected they are with the club and how passionate they are mm-hmm. about the team and the result. And I think that that's so like amazing as a player because you want to be playing for those kinds of people who, who back you week in, week out. And I think our women's fans especially are so passionate about the club and and winning and that's how I am as a player I want to win everything I can so it's nice when when those values align and their commitment they travel home and away and in the pouring rain they're always there so it's nice what was it like getting your first goal for United yeah really nice I'm it was actually at home as well so that was nice um feels like ages ago but only only a few years but yeah it was really nice 
So the first time United played at Old Trafford was during COVID, wasn't it? There was mm-hmm. no fans, but you'd had the hamstring injury then. And then yeah. last year, well, this year, but last season, yeah. 20,000 fans were there. You talk about the fan base. Do you feel like you girls are really making a fortress as well for yourselves with the fans? Yeah, I think massively. I think Lee is a, a, like a lovely pitch and we've got our own fan base there and they follow us up and down the country and now we just want to keep it growing and keep getting bigger and better. And obviously for us as players, it's amazing to play in Old Trafford, but I think it's so nice to have the fans there. Like they don't get to experience that, especially us playing on it um, week in, week out. So when we can, it's important for us that that we give them a day to remember and, and yeah, they're great and we can't thank them enough for all the support that they give us throughout the season. And I suppose if you do have extra fans coming to Old Trafford, you know, people might just go with their children for the occasion and they're not usually at Lee. You're gaining more supporters as well then. Because I know myself, I have children. Lots of the parents take their kids to Old Trafford for that experience to go and watch uh, the women's team play. Yeah, I think we've made Lee our home um, for sure. And when we get the opportunity to play in bigger stadiums, we want to attract fans to come to it. And then hopefully the more times they come to those bigger games, then they'll come back to Lee and that's like the aim for us really we want to sell out Lee as much as we can Mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously move to bigger things but people always ask about playing in bigger stadiums week in week out we just want to make wherever we play as full and as loud Mm. as possible um, and then progress from there Do you get nervous? Uh, Yeah yeah always I think I just I get nervous nervous, yeah just like buzzing nervous kind of and then as soon as I've had What are you like in the dressing room? before the game are you a, a talker a shouter a ranter or a chilled out I'm definitely not a shouter no I'm more like chilled have a bit of a laugh mm-hmm. relax and then I just like to stick to a normal routine yeah nothing too crazy superstitions um I always listen to the same playlist like when I'm on my way to a game like in the car or on my headphones do you have music in the dressing room yeah and who's in charge of that it varies sometimes we're in two change rooms so it's either me or Zell the captain what so, yeah. sort of music? Well, I'm more of a people pleaser. Like I like to please everyone in the changing room. So I'll keep like changing different vibes. Whereas Zell's very much like her vibe matches the team. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it works. What's, uh, for, what's on your pregame playlist? Like anything and everything. I like rap. I like old school R&B. I like country music. I like a bit of house music. So literally it's just all my favourite songs. That's meant. Is, yeah. there, like that. is there any filtering between how they're coming out or are you just getting No, I literally just, just genre shuffle. to genre. Yeah. Shuffle. It could be like a slow country song to like a bit of old school, like fifty cent. I'll keep you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um I just asked talking there briefly about your hamstring. It was really tough and looking back I think that's what makes moments now and obviously the Euro so special because I think it really makes me now never ever take a session or a game for granted because it, it actually happened in training as well. So now when I actually get to train and get to do a rondo or do small sided games, like I just love it. And I think as much as you never want to have to go through that, I think it's made me the person and player I am today um, because I had to learn so much about myself because although I broke my leg in college, um, it was a really smooth recovery. Like it was, it was a leg break. So I, I know it sounds bad, but once it's healed, it's healed. And it's not the case with muscles. They're like proper injuries, like, aren't yeah. they? It's not like it's just a little pull. No, yeah, it was awful. What did you do, snap it or something? Or? Yeah, I, they had to stitch the tendon back together. 
Yeah. Horrible. But I mean, I'm as much as I'm not grateful for it. I am now yeah. like coming back and I think it it's important that that's football like you're going to get hurt at some point and you just have to deal with it. We play at a high level every day and you you test your body and I think that it's made me change myself, what my routines, what I do in pre-act, what I do to recover and maybe I wouldn't have learned those things if I hadn't have gone through it. And just a year later you were winning players player of the season. Mm-hmm. And as you say you must have appreciated that more than ever as well. Yeah, massively. I think for me, it was just, I just wanted to play and and obviously get better. But I also wanted to just enjoy it because I'd been through such a hard year the year before and just come into the club as well. I played four games and then got injured and I just wanted to prove myself, be involved in the team. And I was just able to, to keep myself going throughout and was available for every game. And that to me was the bigger reward because I just wanted to offer myself to the team and give back because obviously I was injured the year before and it showed that what I was doing was working and my routines and the way I've had to adapt um, has worked and and it will be something that I'll add into my career for life Mm -hmm. just little exercises little recovery methods so I think it was an important learning curve. You mentioned Harland earlier as someone that you look at and he's sort of famous for not really wanting to touch the ball except for when he scores goals. Is that how you would like to be playing? Um, well, not really, no. I, I like to be on the ball as much as I can, but I understand that there's no point me coming off the line to get the ball as much as, as there is me getting the ball in the box. So I think I've, I've learned that as well as I got older because I've always... I grew up being a 10 in academy level. So I always wanted to get on the ball, dribble, drive, whatever. Um, But as I've got older, as much as you don't want that to be your game, but you're going to score the most goals when you're in the box. And if you come out of of the box to to get involved in play elsewhere, then you're not in the box to score the goals when the cross comes in. So, yeah, I like to do a bit of both. I like to come off the line, but I also like to be in the box when the cross is coming in. Score a goal or set up a goal? Score a goal. Is that the test? That's how you work out if someone's a number nine? Well, is that what you do? Just <laughs> throw that one in. So, yeah. you know. Who made the decision for you to, to push further up the pitch? Well, I think it was when I was in America. I played 10 all through my youth. And then when I went to America, I played left wing. And then I played right wing. And then I played nine. We actually played a 3-5-2. So... I loved it in the two because the girl that I played with, we were opposite nines. Like she wanted to run in behind every single time and I wanted the ball and I wanted to get on the end of crosses and she wanted to like go and run everywhere. And then when we'd press, like we worked really well. So I think that that made me adapt and and realise that I wanted to be a number nine. But as I've got into first team football over here, there's so much to learn as a nine. Like I think you think it's just all scoring goals, but out of possession, like I've had to really like understand and learn the press. And it's something now that that I enjoy. I used to hate, um, but now I understand it and how to best get a, a team into the areas we want them to um, is something that I actually quite enjoy. Just the running bit of it, or the the, the sort of the mind games of just yeah, just like knowing knowing. I guess it's like a tactic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, just un- now I understand it and I can see the effects of it. I think it makes it more enjoyable and, and you're kind of like playing cat and mouse with the, the back line. But yeah, m- most number nines would probably say they don't like it. But now I understand it, I like it. You mentioned there about how welcoming the dressing room is. What do you think makes the bond between you girls so special? I actually don't know. Like I've I've been a part of like some really cool teams and 
obviously I was out in America for a long time, but the team here and everyone will say it, it's so special. Like you can, you could just feel the, the energy and how much people genuinely want each other to do well. And I think that's what makes it so like special and valuable is because obviously we're here to compete, we're here to win and uh, there's 11 places on in the starting mm -hmm. lineup, but the genuine like reward we get off of each other doing well is massive. And that can often, when that's not there, it, it kills your team vibe. Like, and football's a competitive sport and, and there's a lot of, um, competition in in our dressing room but everyone just wants to do well wants to win together enjoys hanging out with each other when we're not at football like it's not yeah. a chore to be with each other like we genuinely on off days are, are with each other and I think if if we didn't get on then we would never want to do that so yeah it's a really nice environment yeah. how focused are you on individual awards like obviously you've got the fastest hat trick ever scored by someone representing England do you want to be top goal scorer each season? Do you look at the league goal scoring charts and stuff like that? Or does, does that not worry you so long as your team is winning? Yeah, I think that it would mean nothing if we were mid-table. Um, I want to win win the league, win the win as many trophies as I can as a team. I don't, obviously it's nice when that comes along with it, but if there's not the team trophies there, then they're irrelevant. Um, and I think that that's the attitude in our team as well. Like we want to win things together. Um, and yeah, hopefully have a, a really good second half of this season and, and build up to some exciting things. Hopefully a win on Saturday. Yeah, yeah a win nice, on Saturday it? would be nice. And Family then, and friends coming to watch? Yeah, my nan and aunt are coming over from Italy. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that'll be nice. And then, yeah, just that. Oh, and then we've got really Derby and, and then a bit of a Christmas break and then it's all systems go second half of the season. What would be your advice final? I think we're wrapping up anyway, but your final advice for any young snappers out there who want to get into the game? Um, I know it sounds like a bit cheesy, but just enjoy it because mm -hmm. the more you play and, and the older you get, things can get in the way of that. It gets more competitive. You get injuries. You, you're not in the starting lineups. I think when you're young and even now, like I just want to enjoy every session, every game, every time I'm with the team, every time I'm just around the, the, the dressing room. And I, I think that when I'm enjoying myself, I play my best football as well. So yeah. if I'm not in a good headspace, I'm not going to play well at the weekend. So yeah, as simple as it sounds, just love the game and, and never lose it. I'm going to jump in with one last question before we go, just because you're, you're talking about the game so naturally and your role within it. And we started this podcast, you're talking about how when you were younger, the majority of the people you looked at for inspiration were male footballers because there wasn't necessarily access to the female ones. But you've already become an inspiration to so many young girls you seem so comfortable with it. What, what's it been like for you, especially like coming off the back of the Euros and like I can look up an interview with your PE teacher and stuff. Is that something that sits very naturally with you or do you find it all a bit weird sometimes? Um, I find it weird because I just don't see myself as a role model, as silly as it sounds, but I understand that that is my role as a player and with a platform, like I want to use it to, to help the game grow and help young people get involved in football. But I just see myself as Alessia like I've just grown up in a normal family and just worked hard and, and had good opportunities presented to me and took them with both hands so I think that and that's the whole dressing room by the way that's like all of us we've just kept going at something and believed in it ever since we were young so yeah that would be my my message is just anyone can do it you just gotta want it and, and never lose the hunger and desire to go out there and, and win and be the best in whatever you do Thank you very much for talking Thank to us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.
We need to get more people on from Kent. How good was Alessia Russo? I don't think he's a fact that she's from Kent. No. She's just a lovely person. Just saying, we're good people. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was really class. lovely. Really enjoyed listening to her. Very calm. Ice yeah. in her veins. She's a centre forward, isn't she? Yeah, but so calm so when nice. she spoke. And funny enough, when I was talking to someone before who knew her, she said the same thing. Very calm and chilled personality. Amazing. Big injuries there. Big yeah, injuries. Broken leg and two really, really bad hamstrings. I mean... Like I say, hamstring's probably about three, four weeks, but obviously to go through 12 months of that, the same injury, or so longer than you do the other one, nightmare. There's nothing worse. And and do you know what's really pleasing to her is the way she she looks at it now. Changed her outlook, yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. Lovely, lovely. She's such a nice girl, and all you want to do is for them to do so well, don't you? That's it, just do so well. And she's doing brilliant. She will. She's a superstar. It really is incredible is. how the women's game has just grown and grown. And as I said, they're, they're role models now, like 340,000 followers on Instagram. We don't even have that between us. No. <laughs> but no. but we, none of us have ever won the Euros. Yeah, I think so. that would make a difference. But no, she's, <laughs> she is an absolute superstar. And, you know, all you want to do is to wish them so well. And yeah. they've got a great opportunity this, this season to to get some silverware and, and as she mm-hmm. said you know no point accolades for herself it's all about winning things okay that is it for another episode thank you so much for listening and thank you for being back with us remember if you want to get in touch you can email us at unitedpodcast.manunited.co.uk that address is in the notes for this episode if you need it we will be bringing you more episodes when we have them so turn on that notification bell so you know when a new episode is released ding, ding. Thank you, Maisie, for the bell. Uh, We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating and review, only if it's going to be five stars, please. If you're a Spotify listener, you can leave us a five-star rating on there or on Apple Podcasts. You can write us your very own review. That's it, guys. Good to see you again. Good to see you, mate. Good to see Sam again. It's been fun, isn't it? Really good. Bye.